0: I'm going to mute everybody now because I don't want you to talk, but I just don't want you to talk now. All right, here we go. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for coming out uh, on this wonderful, beautiful, glorious day outside and um, learning together. We're going to learn today about Yom Kippur. So we just went through a Rosh Hashanah, and that was a very intense, uh, you know, they have all these like, um, you know, eat, pray, sleep or whatever, you know, like. So that's what we do basically in Rosh Hashanah, eat, pray, sleep, right? Eat, pray, sleep, eat, pray, sleep. So um, we are now going to, God willing, uh, be moving on towards Yom Kippur. Let's talk a little bit about what that's all about. I also want to, before we get started, thank you for coming out. I want to thank the amazing staff at Partners Detroit and Yeshiva Beth Yehuda who sponsored those Lunch and Learn. And and again, we're going to hopefully get back to Lunch and Learn in person, God willing, maybe after Sukkot, hopefully. And of course, it will still be on Zoom. And I also want to thank the amazing folk over at Torah Anytime. It's an app, it's a website, and it's got hundreds of thousands of hours of incredible Torah content that you can fill your brain with and enjoy. They've actually just launched a new app. There's a new app now, a Torah Anytime app, and it's got all kinds of advanced functionalities. I highly recommend you check it out if you're an app kind of person, if you're more of a website kind of person. Just waltz your fingers on down at www.torahanytime.com, and either way, fill your brain with inca- incredible Torah knowledge. This uh, is this class is also available on wherever you get your podcast: Stitcher, podcasts, Spotify, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Play, um, under the name Burnham on the All righty. <clears throat> so there's this guy, who passes away. At the ripe old age of 97, he goes up to heaven. And there, there's two lines, okay? And there's a big, actually, they separate the men and the women out. So they got the men in one room and the women in the other room, right? They do it the orthodox way in heaven, okay? Anyway, so um, they've got a sign. It says, stand here if your wife controlled your life. And then it says, stand here if you controlled your life. Now Everyone's standing in the line where the wives control the life. Because even though the big bodybuilders, the big tough guys, right? All the big tough guys at the end of the day, at the end of the day, their wives control the house. Their wives control their lives. So they're all standing there. But there's this one little guy, like this frail little dude just standing there in the line where you control the house. everyone's looking at him all these big guys burly and they're embarrassed but they're in heaven you can't lie anymore you're in heaven And like dude how can that be that guy that guy is the one guy who controls his house and controls his life how did that happen you know it's like finally this bodybuilder he's like he's like so you know he's like he's always trying to outdo everybody and Everything he does, he outdoes everybody. He can lift more weights than everybody. And he drives a louder car than everybody. And he makes louder jokes in the middle of the shoulder than everybody. He, he does everything. But bottom line, when he gets home, his wife controls the house. So he can't take it. How's this guy standing there? So he just walks over there. He's like, yo, you really controlled your house? I was like, what? It's like, you really controlled your house? Your, your wife didn't control the house? He's like, no, my, my wife controlled the house. Well, what are you doing in this line? I so, said, Well, I was in the other line. My wife came over to me. She said to me, Zalman, you stand over there. Anyway, okay. So, Yom Kippur is the day when we try to figure out where do we stand? What line are we on? What book are we written into? The Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah, Amar, Amar Rav Khrushpadai Rav says, Amr Rav Yochanan in the name of Rav Yochanan. Three books are open on Rosh Hashanah. One for wicked, evil people, and one for righteous people, and one for middle of the road people. The righteous people are written and sealed immediately for life. The wicked people are written and sealed immediately for death they the people who are in the middle, to they stand in suspense, hanging in suspense, from Rosh Hashanah until Yom Kippur, if they do it right in these 10 days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, they get written in the book of life. If they don't get it right, they're in the book of death. So this is the time. There's two lines in heaven the book of life and the book of death. Some people already have been signed into place. Some people already have not been. We hopefully are the Benonim. I mean, I don't think, maybe, I think, probably a bunch of you are the Tzadikim Gamurim. Probably a bunch of you are the righteous people, fully righteous. You've probably been signed right away and put in the book of life. I know that for myself, I'm happy if I'm still hanging in the balance right now, right? I don't, you know, I hope that I'm a Benoni. I hope I'm in the middle of the road. Now of course the obvious question is if if wicked people are immediately put to death i would say at least 10 15% of the world is wicked people right think of all the people in the communist chinese communist party think of all these people from the taliban right now right i mean there's, there's so many so many horrific people all the mobsters all the hoodlums all the gangsters all the taliban all the al qaeda ISIS-K, you know, they used to just be ISIS, but now they've got, it's called ISIS-K, the special K, like the, <laughs> the new ISIS, just for uh, just for Afghanistan, right? And then you've got all the, you know, all the horrible people, the, 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 the wife beaters and the child abusers, and there's, there's so many terrible people in the world. There's got to be at least 10% of the world that's just totally wicked, at least 10%. And I'm being super generous to the world right now. I think it's probably way more than that. Now, we have about seven and a half billion people in the world. If 10% of them are really wicked, you would expect to see this year, 10% of seven and a half billion, this year we should see 750 million people die. Which even with the pandemic, right? Where there was a lot of death this past year compared to a regular year. Nowhere near, nowhere near 750 billion people. There were, by the way, in history's time, there were, pandemics that wiped out a third of the population, smallpox in Europe, right? The black plague, there were pandemics that that wiped out a third of the population. Baruch Hashem, thank God, we're not dealing with anything, anything remotely close to that. But if the evil people are being written immediately for death, well, we should expect to see at least 750 million people die this year. And probably last year also, because guess what? The Taliban was around, ISIS was around, wife beaters, child abusers were around, right? There was the, 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 uh, the Chinese Communist Party was killing Uyghur Muslims already last year. King Kim Jong Un, whatever, he, he, he lasted through the year and he's evil and wicked. There's so many evil and wicked people. All those people who are on death row, right? In, in America, it's crazy. You know, you know, I don't know if you know, but right now we're, we're going on our 20th anniversary of 9-11, right? The 20th anniversary of 9-11 is coming up anytime, anytime right now. And you know who's up for for trial right now? That guy, Sheikh, uh, whatever his name is, uh, the the Sheikh, the the, the famous, you know, the blind Sheikh, the the, the mastermind, the planner behind the 9-11 attacks, who's in Guantanamo Bay, believe it or not, still in Cuba, right? The mastermind behind the 9-11 attacks and a number of his affiliates, planners, executors, people who were training the people how to fly the planes into the buildings. Those guys are going up for trial now, 20 years later. What kind of crazy world do we live in? In America, if people are convicted, a serial killer is convicted, what happens to him? Even if he's in a state that has the death penalty, the death penalty is 20, 30 years down the road. They just sit there, they're around, hanging around. I don't know if you know this, there are many women that marry people on death row. Do you guys know this? It's the craziest thing. It's so sad. These women must be so horrifically lonely. And the only way they find meaning is that they can they, they attach themselves to a person on death row and they they, they marry them and they write them letters. It just just you know, it's very, very sad. But people are in death row for 20, 30 years. God's like, if you are a Russia gum, or if you're totally evil and wicked, then you die. So where's all the dying people? Why didn't 750 million people die last year? The world would have been better off without those 750 million people. And you said that the wicked people are written and signed on Rosh Hashanah for death. Okay. So for starters, if if this is the week that we're hovering between life and death, right? We better understand what does life mean and what does death mean? Now, obviously, on a macro level, life and death is life and death. However, I want to read to you the following source. This comes from Ecclesiastes 9.5. Koheles, Perek, Tes, Pasuk, Hey. kiachayim yodim sheyamusu v'hamesim enam yodim me'uma. The living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Now, this seems to be an incredibly, incredibly obvious statement, right? Living people know that they're gonna die and dead people know nothing. So the Gemara, in Mesethus Bruchos, tractate Brachos, 18a, the Gemara says, what does this mean? This can't just mean that people who are alive know they're gonna die, because everyone who's alive knows they're gonna die, right? And it can't just mean that dead people don't know anything because we know that they're in the ground. Explains the Gemara, What does it mean when it says the living know they're going to die? These are the righteous people who even when they're dead, they are called alive. Meaning righteous people are called living people whether they're alive or dead. Okay, so it means they live 70, 80, 90 years. But then they, way after they're dead, they're still called alive. So when you refer to righteous people, you call them the living people, and we're saying the living people, i.e., righteous people, understand that they're going to die, and understand that their ability to make a positive impact in the world is going to be limited. But the dead people know nothing. Who is this? These are wicked people who, while they're alive, are called dead. So you have dead people who are called live, and live people who are called dead. Wicked people are called dead even while they're living. So let's go through this again. Righteous people, even after they're dead, are called alive. Wicked people, even after they're, even while they're alive, are called dead. How do we break this down? How do we understand this? And the answer is, let's try to understand the meaning of life. I had a, uh, a rabbi, he, uh, I actually just saw him this past summer. I have the pleasure and honor of spending a week with him. His name is Rabbi Moshe Green, and he was a rebbe in Jayashiv uh, for many years. And now he is a rebbe in Hafter, Hebrew Academy of the Five Towns and the Rockaways. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal person. He didn't grow up religious. Uh, he was like more of like a hippie. He got a degree, believe it or not, from University of Michigan. In um, like environmental studies, and his goal was he wanted to he wanted to like he wanted to clean the world. So then, after he graduated, he went out west with a guitar and a van, and he started traveling. You know, doing his uh, doing his thing. And then one time, he gets to a campsite, and on this campsite, somewhere out west, he pulls up, and there's just a little sign nailed to a tree. And it says, please leave this place a little bit cleaner than you found it. And as all hippies who are high 98% of their waking hours seem to be able to find incredible meaning in such small statements, he was like, yo, that's like the meaning of life. And it really is. Please leave this place a little bit cleaner than you found it. Please leave this world a little bit cleaner than you found it. Please leave your children a little bit cleaner than than you found them. They came into this world quite dirty, quite covered in gook. Just clean them up and make sure they leave the world clean. Our goal in this world is to, it's so cliched, but to literally leave the world a little bit more lit, a little bit more filled with light, a little bit kinder a little bit more sensitive, a little bit more trusting, a little bit more tolerant, a little bit more sacred and holy, a little bit more divine, a little bit more loving, a little bit more vulnerable. Okay. So that's our goal in this world. And if you do that, then you're called alive. But if you leave the world, if you, because of what you do in this world, you make the world darker, You make the world less trusting because you rip people off and you cause people who'd otherwise trust people no longer able to trust people. If you leave the world a little bit more cynical, if you leave the world a little bit more false, a little bit more arrogant, a little bit more unethical, a little bit more intolerant, a little bit more angry, then then you're dead. Living and death has nothing to do with whether or not you're breathing. On a biological level, yes it does. On a biological level, are you living? Well, it depends which doctor you go to. Do they measure it by brain activity? Do they measure it by heart activity? Do they measure it by the ability to breathe? But there'll be some sort of scientific term for living and death. But if you want to understand from a spiritual perspective, Spiritual life is when you add value to the world. Spiritual death is when you take away value from the world. Says the Pasuk, The living know that they're going to die. The living know they have a limited time on this world. And therefore, they're so cognizant to use their time in the most appropriate of ways. Who are the living? The living are the righteous people who even after they're dead are called living. Why? Because Rashi died in 1105. Rashi died 916 years ago. And yet he inspired me this morning. I was trying to learn God's Torah and I couldn't understand what I was learning. And then I learned Rashi and boom, the light went on. Rashi inspires hundreds. I mean, Rashi is wild if you think about it. Rashi was a rabbi who lived in Spain from 1040 to 1105. Rashi is the primary commentator on the Torah. Rashi is the primary commentator on the Talmud. Every single day, there are literally hundreds of thousands of people who are using Rashi to explain them the Torah they're trying to learn. Rashi is dead 916 years ago and yet Rashi is inspiring us till today. Now someone just wrote in, do you care to share what was so inspiring this morning? It was just helping me understand the Gemara. It wasn't like, meaning it wasn't like the Gemara was like this, like the Talmud, it's an interesting question. Talmud is not necessarily like a fascinating, inspiring read. It's not saying to you be nicer all day long, right? Mm -hmm. It's talking to you about just all the laws, Jewish law, but through learning, the Talmud, which is God's God's Torah. So the Torah is is when God gave us the Torah at Mount Sinai, God says, I'm I'm taking my myself, my personality, I'm writing it down and giving it to you on a on paper. And he gave us the Torah. The Torah is made up of two parts, the, the written Torah and the Oral Torah. Right? So the Oral Torah is like the Talmud. So when when you learn the Talmud, you're literally it's like it's like you're reading God's autobiography, so to speak. But not every page is like a super, super like, you know, wild inspirational moment. But Rashi today helped me understand the Gemara in Be'a, Daf or Tess. So that's that's what we're up to in Daf Yomi. Anyway, so Rashi's alive today. Rashi helped me out this morning. Rashi's probably helping out many children today who are learning Chumash. And the Rebbe is telling them, and Rashi says this and this and this and this, right? And Rashi's helping out. Thousands and tens of thousands of people are learning Gemara. So Rashi, who died 916 years ago, helped me out this morning, which means that Rashi is still alive. But there are people right now who are alive, who are a net negative on the world. The Kim Jong un's. <laughs> I may be saying his name wrong. Kim Kim Jong un. Yeah, if you say it faster, better. Kim Jong un. Kim Jong un. Kim Jong-un right now is alive, but he's making the world darker for millions of people living in North Korea, starving, poor, sorry souls. So is he alive physically? Yes, he is, but he's dead because he's making the world darker. So again, the way the Talmud looks at life and death is life is when you make the world lighter. Death is when you make the world darker. (laughs) When we talk about how on Rosh Hashanah, these books are gonna be open and these books are gonna determine our year. What that means is, are you going to be a net lighter of the world? Are you gonna bring light to the world this year? Are you gonna be a floodlight? Or are you gonna be a darkness blanket snuffing out the light of people around you? That's what gets decided on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Is it gonna be a year in which you're gonna expand your spiritual potential? Are you going to expand your ability to give? Are you going to expand your ability to love? Are you going to expand your ability to relate to God? Are you going to expand your ability to be godly? Or are you going to contract and just turn deeper into yourself? Deeper and deeper and and deeper into your own selfishness and narcissism and arrogance and cynicism. That's what we get judged for on Rosh Hashanah. And for many of us, We're the Benonim. We're in the middle category, because guess what? Our past year probably had some kindness, loving, giving, sincerity, but our past year also probably had some cynicism, some lying, some gossip, some hurting of other people's feelings, right? We've got both of that inside of us, and therefore, we're right now, we are in the Benonim camp. We are in limbo, and God's trying to decide together with us what we're gonna look like for the whole year next year. So we are the biggest deciders of our own fate. We are the ones who decide whether it's gonna be a year of life or a year of death. Is it gonna be a year in which we're gonna bring life to ourselves, to our family, to our children, to our community, to our neighbors? Or is it gonna be a year in which we bring difficulty and hardship to others? Are other people going to be on the phone saying, you know, I just got off the phone with Barb, and she is so kind. I'm telling you, every time I get on the phone with her, she just makes me feel great about myself. Or are people going to be calling each other and saying, I don't know, I just got a call from Barb, and she's so offended that I didn't invite her, but I couldn't. It wasn't my place to invite her, but she said, but you should have told them.' You know what I'm saying? What are you going to be? Are you going to be the person that makes other people feel jealous? that flaunts what you have and makes other people feel jealous and less than and missing out, or you're gonna be the person that constantly points out to other people all that they do have. Telling other people what an amazing garden they have or how incredible their husband or wife is or their children or how much you appreciate what they do for other people and that you notice You know, I was asking people to daven to pray for my mother, and please feel free to keep up the prayers. Her name is Nechama Mendel Bas Shifra. Nechama Mendel Bas Shifra. And I'll, I'll I'll put it in. But before Rosh Hashanah, so I was really, you know, I was trying to get as many people as possible to put in prayers. It was important. And uh one of the people that I asked to was uh, the, the Rosh Sheba here. The Rosh Sheba is a very, very, very very spiritual, very like incredible. His name is Rav Yudi Box, and he's a super 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 holy yid and uh like literally almost like from a from like from a different ge- from a different generation from a different generation he, so so special and I, I i put in a request that he should pray for my mother I saw him today there was a bris I was at the bris and he was given the honor of being the sandik. and I come over to him how's your mother doing now I don't know how many hundreds of people are asking this rabbi to pray for them you know what I'm saying You think about it, like this man, he has such huge shoulders, right? There's so many people he's praying for, hundreds and hundreds of people must be that that have asked him to pray for them in some way or the other. And there are probably hundreds of people that he prays for that didn't even ask him to pray for them. And yet when he sees me after Rosh Hashanah, the first thing is, how's your mother doing? Incredible, that sensitivity. Are we gonna be that kind of person next year? Are we going to be the kind of person that other people are talking? I don't know what to do. She's driving me crazy. I don't know what to do. He's being being unreasonable. And he's digging in his heels. And he's being more stubborn and more controlling or more this, more that. Who are we going to be? That's these 10 days and that's Yom Kippur. So our job on Yom Kippur, and indeed in the prelude this week leading up to Yom Kippur, we have this such a holy, special day. These Yimei on these days of incredible will from God, where God is so close to us. Dear Shu Hashem Behim Matzo Kiruhu karov. The Pasuk says, call out to Hashem when he's found, when he's around. Kiruhu, reach out to him, karov when he's nearby. Elu Asara yamim Yom Kippur. The Talmud says these are the ten days from Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Now is the time to talk to God. And talk to him about what What are those actions? You know, Hashanah is more about the forest, right? The forest. Who are you? You Yom Kippur is about the trees. Let's go down to your individual actions. The way you talk to your spouse. The way you talk to your children. The way you talk to your parents. Whether you're the kind of person who comes on time or the person who's perennially late and always apologizing for it. Whether you're the kind of person who can always point out what's wrong in someone else's cooking, someone else's simcha. How was the wedding last night? It was really nice, but the music was too loud. How was the wedding last night? It was okay, you know? It was They didn't have a lot of options out by the by the smorgasbord. How was the wedding last night? It, it was nice, but that hall is kind of... That hall's done. It's it, it's it's already done. It needs some renovations. They need to do something over there. How was the wedding? It was nice, but you could tell, you know, the husband, the, the father and mother of the of the bride, they were divorced, and I could tell they were going at each other the whole wedding. How was the wedding last night? Yeah. It was okay. It was okay. I mean, whatever. You know, I'm tired of going to these weddings all the time. Whatever, we gotta do it. Social convention. But you know what? Trust me, I'd rather have just been home sitting, watching TV. Do you wanna be that human being? Or do you wanna be that wedding, the other person? How was the wedding last night? Oh, it was so beautiful. I wish you could have been there. Everyone was so happy. How was the wedding last night? Oh, it was amazing. There was so much, it was so much good food, and everyone had such a good time. How was the wedding last night? It was great. They had an amazing band and everyone was dancing. How was the wedding last night? Oh, wow. You could feel the joy reverberating throughout the hall. How was the wedding last night? Who do you wanna be? Who do you wanna be? And this is the, is the, the question of how was the wedding last night? It's how was the Shabbos meal? Oh, I heard you went to so-and-so for a meal. What, how did it go? It, it's everything. It's, two, it's different human beings and you get to decide you want to be alive or dead. The guy who's alive, you ask him how the wedding was last night. Oh, it was amazing. It was so joyous. I wish you could have been there. And so it was so amazing. Everyone was so happy. And the, the bride and the groom, I'm telling you, they're going to last together forever. They were just, you had to see the way they were looking at each other. That's a person who's alive. You want to, who's a dead person? How was the wedding last night? Yeah, it was okay. Whatever. I, I'm all wedding out. You're dead. You're a dead person. You're a dead person. You're all wedding now. You're a dead person. So, who do you want to be? Young Kipper and Aseres and These are the times where we look at the little, little fine, you know, we go through life with a fine tooth comb. Again, Rashana is big macro picture. Who are you? Yom Kippur is what do you do? How do you talk? How do you talk about people? How do you talk about events? How do you dress? How do you how do you talk in terms of your language? Do you do you use words and jokes that are inappropriate? Do you take your power of speech which God gave you to uplift and do you pervert it and use it to say words that are inappropriate and and jokes that are inappropriate. God gives you a mouth that can do so much. Is there anybody here on this uh, Zoom that works for uh, Mimic Insurance? No? Okay, good. So they do my car insurance. I got a little confession to make. And by the way, if you're watching this later, okay, on tour anytime or something else, we have a little uh, rabbi client privilege going on. So you can't tell anybody from Mimic, but you know, Mimic does my auto insurance. And from time to time, I got to do a little video over here. I got to do a little bit of a confession. Sometimes I, I drive faster than the speed limit. Yeah, <laughs> Sometimes, uh, yeah, yeah, Some, I, don't, I don't actually just say sometimes I drive faster than the speed limit might be also not true, because it might be more, frequently I drive over the speed limit. However, the truth is, right now, I'm actually pretty good. I almost never drive more than 10 miles over the speed limit, very rarely. Anyway, a few mornings ago, I'm on the way to Shaw, and I'm driving down Lincoln Boulevard, and suddenly... I see a cop pull out from the other side. I'm going down this way. He's going this way. He was he was parked. And right after I passed by, he pulls out. I'm like, oh my gosh. I didn't even remember. Was I speeding? Did he clock me? Is he now going to pull around and pull me over? Right? So I got the fear. The fear is going. You, you all know that fear. You all know the feeling when you see there's a cop sitting on the highway. And then suddenly right after your car passes, you see the cop get on the highway. And you're like, uh-oh, is he coming for me? I'm telling you, this is where I start pumping out the Tehillim, right? I'm like, now, I unfortunately, in my life, Baruch Hashem, lately, again, I probably don't get that many tickets because I really I try not to speed. So, I, I but in my younger years, I, I had many, many, many an encounter with the uh, New York State finest and Michigan finest and all kinds of finest of many, many areas: Pennsylvania, Ohio, right? So, um, Florida, California. <laughs> Like some people collect like magnets, you know what I'm saying, from each state they go to. Some people collect like shot glasses. Some people collect license plates. I collect speeding tickets. I got one in Idaho, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, Baruch Hashem, now I don't get them. Now, what am I afraid of? I see the cop pulling out. Okay, I'm going down this way. I see the cop pulling that. What am I afraid of? Am I afraid that the cop's going to pull me over, take out his gun, and shoot me? No. Unfortunately, I've been pulled over by cops many times before and they never pulled out their gun, and never shot me, right? So I'm not worried about that. I, I know how this goes. He's gonna come over, I'm gonna roll down my window. I'm Even though I, I know where my license and registration are, I'm gonna spend a little bit of time looking for it so I can try to talk to the guy and be really, really nice to him and ask him what I do. Because usually they just say license and registration, if you give it to him, you go right back to his car, he writes you a ticket, you don't have any time to plea your case. So you got to spend a little bit of time looking for your, where do I, where do I keep my, my insurance and registration, right? Now, you know you keep it in the visor because you don't really have your sunglasses. You keep it in your sunglasses case, but you start looking around. You're like, sir, I'm, I'm trying to find it. Thank you so much, sir. How are you? I, what did I do? I'm so sorry. I didn't really, I didn't, I noticed, you know, I was in a rush, whatever. You're trying to get, buy yourself some time to talk. And then he goes back to his car and then maybe he says, okay. You're really going 15 over. But I wrote you over for five over. I wrote you over for impeding traffic, and just pay the ticket, and it's all good because most of what they want is really just the money for the for the city. But what's the worst that's gonna happen? He's gonna write me a full ticket, a speeding ticket. Let's say I was driving 15 miles over, and then what happens? I pay the ticket. Then I'll tell you what happens. What happens is then your insurance goes up because as soon as you have a speeding ticket on your record, your insurance can go up literally like a thousand dollars a year from one speeding ticket. Okay. And it stays up for 39 months. Okay. Now your insurance renews every six months. So it means that for basically for the next 42 months, three and a half years, you're going to be paying a thousand dollars more a year for insurance. That's what you're concerned about. I'm not afraid the cop's going to hurt me. I'm not afraid the cop's going to kill me. I'm not afraid the cop's... The worst he's going to do is he's going to give me a ticket and I'm not going to be able to get out of it. I'm going to have to pay the ticket, which is like two, three hundred dollars. But then I'm going to have insurance going to hit me for a thousand dollars a year, $1,500 a year for the next three years. And I really don't want that. So I want to take that money and I want to spend it on taking care of my family. So why is there such fear in my stomach when the cop suddenly pulls out? The reality is I'm just afraid he's going to take away something from me. That would give me the ability to do Take care of my family. That's really what it all boils down to. The fear of Yom Kippur should not be that I'm afraid that God is going to smack me down. I'm afraid God is going to give me cancer this year. God forbid. I'm afraid God is going to give me some other illness. I'm afraid that there's going to be a worse variant of the the, the, uh, coronavirus that's going to come out and it's going to be way more dangerous and more contagious, whatever it is. And i'm afraid god's gonna get me there's a lot of things that's not what yom kippur's goal is not to make you afraid that you're gonna get smacked down yom kippur's goal is that you're afraid that god is not going to give you the ability to bring the light into the world to sustain others to take care of others to be the kind person you were meant to be to be the the giving person to be the light into the world that you were supposed to be that's what your fear of yom kippur should be is that if i don't get my act together if i don't show god that I'm the kind of person who brings light to the world, he's going to cut off some of my funding. When I say funding, funding could be health, resources, all kinds of things that God might cut off. Because if I'm a a blanket and I use my resources and energy to hurt other people and snuff out light, if I just throw a, a dark blanket over other people's light, then God will understandably, for the benefit of the world, maybe snuff out some of my light and not give me the ability to affect the world so greatly. Hashem says, we say in, in Tehillim, ki imcha haslicha The reason why, which means for forgiveness is with you in order that you be feared. We recognize that I, with my actions, I probably am not deserving of an incredible year next year. Right? I know that I'm hanging in the balance, number one. And i know that based on my actions i'm probably not deserving of an incredible year but god can forgive me god can take away my cynicism god can take away god can enable me to be a guy a human being of light this year a human being who people want to be around a human being who people love don't fear a human being who people come away from feeling better about themselves God can give me that ability to be a year of life. Life is doing good for others. Life is bringing light to others. And God's going to have to forgive me and wipe away some of my darkness and cynicism and anger and arrogance in order for that to happen. God has the ability to wipe away my schmutz, my darkness. That's why people fear God. Because God has that incredible and awesome ability. It's not that I'm afraid God's going to smack me down. It's that I know that God has the ability right now to take away my own darkness that I brought upon myself with my cynicism, my arrogance, my selfishness. And I so desperately want God to do that. I hope I'm afraid that I don't do the right actions during these 10 days to prove to God that I'm someone he should invest some of his cleansing power into. And we go through each tree in our forest of actions to try to see and make sure they're all healthy and thriving. Because a fungus can get on a tree and it can decimate a whole forest. We saw it this this past summer. My family had the uh, incredible uh, privilege of going to Great Smoky Mountain National Park in Tennessee. And it's an incredible, incredible place to go. There's you can look out. There's a special vantage point. It's the highest point in um, I think it's the highest point of east of the Mississippi, maybe. Um, but it's definitely the highest point in, in Great Smoky Mountain National Park. And you you park at a parking lot, then you got to walk up It's like really, really intense. It's only about a half a mile hike, but it's like like you're it's like it's very, very high incline. It's really it's a nice, it's a nice, challenging hike for us and the kids. And then when you get to the top, there's this big concrete sort of viewing tower and you go all the way up this big sort of spiral ramp and you get to the top and you can see for 20 miles around in every direction and it's just rolling hills and mountains covered in thick forest but when you start driving through the forest you start seeing some of the areas up close and you see that they're starting to die there are fungi that are attacking the trees beetles and funguses that are attacking the trees most of them unfortunately imported from other places and they're slowly taking down the forest and 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 we don't have a way to stop them right now it's a really scary thing it gets in and it slowly starts eating away at a tree when they're done with that tree they move to the next tree and the next tree and the next tree and they propagate and, and grow and grow and they're snuffing the life out of these beautiful beautiful trees and forests so we know that if we have bad traits inside of us even if we have one little bad trait, it can just grow and grow and grow. So we, we say to God, please, slach lanu, 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 cleanse us. Get rid of the little black mold inside of my heart. Because I know if I leave that black mold there, it will come back, it will propagate. It will it, it'll, it'll make its way back. So that's what Yom Kippur is all about. Yom Kippur is saying to Hashem, I want to have a year in which I am a light unto myself, I'm a light unto others. I'm a light unto my community. Hashem, I know that the way I've acted this past year, I'm a bainoni, hopefully. I've brought light to some people, but I've taken away light from others, unfortunately. And I'm asking you, God, please, give me a year in which I can be light unto others. want to conclude with a story. I want to conclude with a story. I mentioned that the greatness of a, of, a, of a wedding, sorry, of a rabbi, I mentioned that the greatness of a rabbi is often in their concern for others and their ability to bring light health and healing to others. There's a story about the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim was a great, great sage who died in the early 1930s. And at one point, there was a, he, he was recognized as like the greatest rabbi of the Jewish people, like the rabbi shel Shal the, the, the great rabbi of his time. And at one point, there was a family that had a member of the family who was very sick. And they didn't know what to do. They went to all the doctors, and all the doctors basically said, there's no hope. Whatever, unfortunately, this person's just gonna waste away. We have no solution, so you know, just make sure they're comfortable. But they were desperate, so they sent a, a, a messenger from the family to go to the chavetz chaim, and this it was a brother-in-law, and he went to the chavetz chaim, and he's begging and begging and begging, and the chavetz chaim said, "Okay, I'll daven, i for this for this person." And amazingly, miraculously, the person got better. The doctors couldn't explain it. No one understood it. The guy got better. About 20 years later, roughly, he fell ill again with the same symptoms. And again, they go to all the doctors and all the doctors say, no can do. So we got to go back to the Chovetz So they go back to the Chovetz Chaim. And they say to him, please, can you please daven for my brother-in-law? You know, last time you came to him, you daven and, and, and Baruch he got better. And uh, he's sick again. The same thing. Can you please daven for him again? Can you pray for him again? And the Chavetz Chaim says, I'm so sorry, I can't. What? Chavetz Chaim? Can't daven for somebody? Please, Rabbi, you don't understand. We have no other hope. There's no one else who could do it. Please, please, please. Can you daven for him? Can you pray for him? Chavetz Chaim says, I'm so, so sorry. I really, truly, I'm sincerely sorry, but I can't. What does that mean? You can't talk for him. Why can't you talk for him? And the brother-in-law would not leave. He wouldn't leave the Chavot Chaim. Remember, there was no other medical solution over here. And the only thing that seemed to save him last time was the Chavot Chaim. So the brother-in-law would not leave the Chavot Chaim. He was there. He was sticking around. He wouldn't go. He wouldn't go. Finally, the Chavot Chaim says, okay, I'll explain it to you. He said, last time you came to me and you were crying and begging that I should daven for your brother-in-law. And I was a young man, so I fasted for 40 days for your brother-in-law, but I'm an old man right now. I'm already 90 years old. I I can't do it anymore. I'm so, so sorry. Here, try going to this rabbi, that rabbi. Can you imagine what this means, ladies and gentlemen? A person comes over to you that you've never met before in your life And he starts telling you that his brother-in-law is sick and can you please daven for him? And for somebody that you never met in your life, you fast for 40 days, that this person should have a refu This is This is people who are literally, we understand what it means when we say human beings are greater than malachim, human beings are greater than angels. The dedication to other people, Now, of course, we don't have that ability, but here's what I want, we don't have that ability. We're not gonna fast 40 days for someone who's sick, unfortunately, but here's what I wanna charge you with for the coming year. Here's what I wanna challenge you with for the coming year. There are people who are sick physically, but there are also many people who are sick emotionally, you see far more people who are emotionally sick than people who are physically sick, right? And someone gets sick, you know, they 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 get cancer, and unfortunately, God forbid, they get MS, they get you know who knows what? Maybe about you know coronavirus. There's so many things people get sick. Everyone knows about it. Everyone prays for them. There are a lot of people out there who are emotionally sick, and guess what? We have no idea what they went through. We all have no idea what they went through, what their life was like, who knows what their childhood was like, or maybe, who, who knows what. Maybe they, they, they went through some kind of trauma, some kind of adverse childhood experience. Maybe they were molested, maybe they were beaten as a child. We have no idea, we really don't. But sometimes we see people who are just emotionally sick, abrasive, mean, obnoxious, right? Let's say for this year, for this year, let's commit. If we look at the Chavetz Chaim, and the Chavetz Chaim was able to fast for somebody for 40 days, somebody didn't know at all, which means that he, for 40 days, he didn't eat all day long. If we see that person in our neighborhood, in our class, in our shoal, in our community center, in our gym, wherever it is, that person who's emotionally sick, and you all know what I'm referring to, When you see that person who's emotionally sick, go out of your way for that person. Try to add light into their life. And they are the ultimate person who tries to extinguish light, right? Those are the people who are cynical and angry and mean and arrogant, because arrogant is just a a puffed up way of a little hurt person saying, notice me, like me. Those people are very hard often to love and to care for because they're abrasive for this year let's let's try to be a little tiny bit of a fraction like the whole the whole time fasted for 40 days for somebody who was sick and we never met let's try to go out of our way for somebody in our world in our life who's abrasive and nasty and mean and biting and cynical let's go out of our way to shower them with kindness and that should be a bracha, that when we focus on other people, we focus on bringing light into other people, we focus on, on bringing life to other people, God will give us a blessing of a gemar chasimatova, which should be sealed in the book of life, of giving, of kindness, of love, of sanctity, of beauty, of harmony, of peace, with a gemar chasimatova and a good yarmic yar.